US lawmakers might crack down on shady VPN providers, DHS is tracking smartphones, Facebook is encrypting tracking links, and a conclusion to the T-Mobile data breach at last, and much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 96, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. I am Henry from TechLore. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And this week, our promo is still the same. If you like Patreon, we have so many cool perks for you over on our Patreon. Go check it out down in the description, patreon.com slash surveillance pod. And there you get these segment free episodes and you also get to join our Q&A. It's a blast and you get to support us and keep this free for everyone. It's less than two cups of coffee a month, so that's pretty cool. Also, we have Monero. So if you want to support us privately and you just want to do it one-on-one -on -one with no perks, but at least it's private, you have Monero and you can donate to us using the QR code on the screen or using the address down in the description. We appreciate all of you. We see all of your donations. Also, big announcement, we are doing a giveaway for SR100. Yes, people. We've been doing this for a hundred weeks now, almost a few weeks away. Um, but we're going to have a big giveaway. And let me tell you, we're already talking to a lot of privacy orgs and we have some awesome things lined up. The bad news, we didn't plan this week. So we actually don't have many details for you this um, as of right now, but we should have them by the next report. And so next report, make sure to tune in and we'll be announcing all the giveaway details. It's very likely the giveaway will be audio only just because we don't want to deal with YouTube and YouTube um, possibly banning us because the giveaway rules on YouTube are very um, wishy-washy and we don't want to risk anything like that. Um, so we'll see what happens with the video side of things. Maybe we'll post it on Odyssey and audio, but not on YouTube. So if you're on YouTube, make sure to double check. We'll try to leave something in the description next week for all of you. And now the highlight story. Lawmakers are pushing the FTC to clean up the VPN industry. Congresswoman Anna Ishu and Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon have written the FTC urging them to address deceptive practices in the VPN industry. They cited research saying that 75% of the most popular VPNs engage in such practices. They specifically cite worries about those seeking privacy with the recent repeal of Roe v. Wade and people who need to do research on abortions who might get a false sense of security from a VPN. If the FTC listens to this, which is a big if, this could be huge and it could really change the industry for the better. So we'll keep you updated make sure you're subscribed on that. And I do want to outline that Senator Ron Wyden has a very good track record of calling out lots of surveillance-oriented things in the U.S., as well as lots of things like this. So go, Senator Ron Wyden. You're awesome. If you're new to the podcast, the real thing they're attacking is lots of the claims that VPNs make, like anonymity, privacy, and security, which, again, VPNs can offer you, but it's very limited in what it does. A VPN should be just a small tool of all tools that you're utilizing for privacy and security. And I think that what they're trying to target here is people who think, I have NordVPN on, so now I can just search in my browser about abortions near me, um, which is a very small part of the issue. And now we'll move on to data breaches. Neopets data breach exposes the personal data of 69 million members. So Neopets, for those who don't know, is a virtual pet website. And the mere mention of it has definitely reminded hundreds of our viewers that you have pets you have not checked on in years. A cyber criminal going by Tartar X has begun selling the source code at four Bitcoin, which is about $94,000. The screenshot that they provided for proof contained usernames, uh, actual names, email addresses, zip codes, dates of birth, gender, country, the initial registration email, and other site slash game related information. The attacker still had access to the database at the time of publication. And the big thing that stuck out to me was the initial registration email. So that's unfortunate. Apparently some sites, 
even if you change your email address, they will hold on to that original email that you registered with. And that's really, really unfortunate. Verified Twitter vulnerability exposes data from 5.4 million accounts. In January, someone reported a Twitter vulnerability on HackerOne. Twitter did acknowledge it and paid out $5,000 for this and said they would work on it. Twitter has now been too slow to patch and now a cyber criminal has used it to steal user data. It includes public information as well as email and phone numbers. So it's not a huge breach, more of a scrape, but it's still annoying. And this actually impacts a lot of people who are pretty high up on Twitter too, like celebrities and other famous people. But we don't know exactly who yet. That's just based on the article. For me, it's a good reminder to always use alias information when you can. Um, with clients I work with, I always recommend uh, social media. Own, it has its own dedicated phone number. And at the bare minimum, you have a social media email address. But ideally, you're using Simple Login or Anonaddy or any kind of aliasing solution for every single account you have so that this stuff is pretty well contained. Messaging app Just Talk is spilling millions of unencrypted messages. So Just Talk bills themselves as an end-to-end -end encrypted messenger, and they also offer Just Talk Kids, which is you know a version that is for the kids. They have over 20 million users, and according to the Android like downloads in the Play Store, they have over a million downloads specifically for the kids version. So pretty pretty popular app. Unfortunately, they are apparently not end-to-end -end encrypted. A security researcher has found a lot of data. The article doesn't specify exactly how they discovered the data because the researcher is actually trying to get a hold of the company and tell them about this, which is uh, kind of why TechCrunch is getting involved with this. They're also trying to help this researcher get a hold of the company. The data seems to include phone numbers, so you were able to like match up conversations and like read whole conversations and piece them together. Phone numbers, granular location data, ephemeral phone numbers generated. Uh, I guess there's like a third-party app integration called Just Talk Second Phone Number. So you could generate burner phone numbers, which is great until, you know, you can see that data and it gets linked back to you. And of course the content itself. So very unfortunate, especially since children are involved with this. And just a reminder that, you know, open source isn't like a perfect solution to everything, but it is nice because then you can verify people's claims. Like there's a difference between there's a bug or they did something poorly implemented something and just flat out lying, which this company was clearly doing. It's very unfortunate. This reminds me a lot of a certain messenger that's developed by a YouTuber who has similar issues to this, with falsely <laughs> advertised end-to-end -end encryption. And I think it outlines the same issue of like... Digital security giant Entrust was breached by a ransomware gang. Entrust is a security firm focused on online trust and identity management which is someone you'd hope would deal with this better. Um, they're offering a wide range of services, including encrypted communications, secure digital payments, and ID issuance solutions. Depending on what data was stolen, this attack could impact a large number of critical and sensitive organizations who use and trust for identity management and authentication, including the Departments of Energy, Homeland Security, Treasury, Health and Human Services, Veterans Affairs, Agriculture, and more. This took place in June, and there's no further information at this time. I think for me, this outlines how there was a story not too long ago about wanting to verify something like um, phone number subscribers in a country in order to combat spam. And I think for us, what we were talking about was, yes, they might actually help deal with the spam issue, but in doing so, they're now creating a new privacy issue because now they have so much data they need to secure. And we cover news like this every week. And this is just another issue of that, of this is identity management and authentication for government-run websites. Because of that identity verification that they're doing, now this information could be getting out to the public. We don't know the, the, the scope of this leak yet, but 
Um, it's just something to think about. Some, a lot of times security and privacy don't go hand in hand, and this is one of those situations where sometimes it's better not to collect the data if there's ways to do that. Hackers have stolen 50,000 credit cards from 300 US restaurants. So this appears to be a mage card attack, which is where the JavaScript on the website is poisoned and it redirects card information to the attackers. So when you go to check out, they get a copy of all your card details. Um, honestly, that's about all the article disclosed. Uh, they didn't really, they kind of spent a lot of time talking about mage card attacks. The real takeaway here, assume like if you were caught in this, assume your entire credit card was compromised. If possible, try to be proactive, use like privacy.com or other card masking services or go to the restaurant and pay in person. I'm not going to preach that because admittedly I am lazy. I like to call ahead and pre-order. Just be aware of that. Checking out online, it's real convenient and there's stuff you can do to mitigate the risk, but it's, it's still a risk and just got to be aware of that. Flipkart's ClearTrip confirms data breach after hackers put data for sale. ClearTrip is a popular travel booking platform in India. It's hard to say what data was stolen. The attackers took the information down within hours. Studying old screenshots, one expert speculated it was literally all of their data, um, but ClearTrip told affected victims that no sensitive info was compromised. So there's some mixed information. Um, and ClearTrip has now threatened legal action against the attackers, so I'm sure they're scared. <laughs> so scared. So scared. Our next story is a conclusion to the T-Mobile data breach. T-Mobile is going to pay out $350 million to customers, asterisk, in the, a data breach settlement. So for those of you who missed the memo, uh, earlier this year, T-Mobile was involved in, I think like two or three in a row, massive data breaches. It broke in, stole a ton of data, and now T-Mobile has reached a settlement over this class action lawsuit over this data breach. They are going to pay $150 million to upgrade their data security and related technology. That's a quote. And they are going to split an additional $350 million between the customers and the lawyers. Hence the asterisk. As the article points out, the lawyers are probably going to take a pretty big chunk of this money and then split up the remainder, which includes 76.6 million people who were affected by this. In my opinion, if you were caught up in this and you get the, the message from T-Mobile or whoever that's like, hey, you're eligible for a payout. I wouldn't bother because they're going to ask for a lot of personal information and you're probably only going to get a few bucks, if anything. You do you. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. Although, for the record, I'm still waiting for my Equifax payout. It's usually how this stuff goes. And with that, we will move into companies. We're going to start off with Facebook, who uh, is being really extra crappy. I don't know if I've said this on camera before, but I feel like Facebook and Amazon are constantly competing for like who can be the crappier company. And this time it's Facebook's turn to make a move. They have started encrypting links in order to counter the privacy improving URL stripping. So <clears throat> previously Facebook would use tracking links and they were pretty easy to combat because they would go like facebook.com slash surveillance report. We don't have a Facebook. I'm just using that as an example slash post slash random string of letters, question mark. And then everything after that question mark was the tracking portion. But anyway, so now they've changed it. And now all of their posts don't have the question mark. It just looks like facebook.com slash surveillance report slash post slash random string of letters. So it looks like they're encrypting the tracking data so that you can't remove it. And people are speculating this is probably in response to Firefox having rolled out uh, URL stripping by default to everyone. So now that more people are doing it, you know, privacy is a constant cat and mouse. When, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand people were doing this via things like uh, clear URLs or uBlock Origin or something like that, or manually, it wasn't really a big deal. But now that everybody's doing it, they're like, oh no, we need that sweet data, so they're doing that, yeah. At this time, I don't think we have a solution to that. I'm sure somebody will come up with one, but for now, it just, it really sucks and it's something to be aware of. On the topic of Facebook, we're gonna migrate to Instagram, who has a new payment feature that lets users buy products via DMs. 
We're sharing this because it could be a privacy concern because processing payments almost entirely on the Facebook ecosystem clearly presents some privacy issues. This new feature allows users to chat with qualified businesses, check out with MetaPay, which I've never heard of before, um, but says it will be processed by PayPal and it tracks their orders. The only reason Facebook survives is because of crap like that. Like the, just those invasive business practices that just force themselves into people's lives. Like you have to get an Oculus. You wanna use an Oculus? You gotta have a Facebook account. Yo, you wanna buy this Android device for $90 a month on, on Verizon? Oh, you gotta get it with Facebook pre-installed. Like, oh my God. <laughs> For the record, I'm I'm not standing up for Facebook for a second. This seems like they were solving a legitimate like opportunity to solve a problem, but of course they had to go in there and like sneak in with it, you know, because apparently like a lot of people, you know, DM the businesses to ask questions, like they DM the businesses to be like, hey, what's the update on my order? And now they're like, what if we just make it all in one place? And it's like, okay, you're trying to solve a problem, but we know you're going to take a little extra while you're at it. Yes. That's the part that bugs me. I still go back to Mark Zuckerberg doesn't want his own kids on Facebook, which I think speaks a lot to his character and who he is as a person, but I think should be a big wake up call to people who still have Facebook accounts. Like the person who literally manages, maintains, and runs this business doesn't want their own children on the platform. I've heard that's true with a lot of tech though. It is. And I think a lot of tech is bad. That's fair point. I, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> the point still stands. <laughs> Touche. All right. Um, over to what I think is good news. I know the DOH, DOT stuff is for some reason a big debate. DNS over HTTP slash three is in Android now. This pretty much uses DOH, which is DNS over HTTPS plus QUIC, which essentially all that does, if you're not technical, is it makes this a little bit easier to use on mobile devices. It'll be a little bit faster. It'll be a little bit easier to switch between cell towers. It's just a more compatible version of DOH, to my knowledge. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. That's really it. That's coming to Android. If you like DOH, good for you. If you don't like it, then you just don't use it. I know some people think this is Google DNS. That is not what DOH is. It's a standard. It does not have to go through Google. You can use it with any provider. We've actually gotten a lot of comments about that on TechLore and it's just wrong. So that one I do want to clear up. Next up, we'll talk about Amazon, who is buying a primary care tech provider called One Medical for $3.9 billion. So One Medical, quote, leverages in-person digital and virtual interactions, unquote. So basically they work in the physical space, they work in the digital space, uh, telehealth, all kinds of stuff. They do work with both consumers and business-to-business, -business, other businesses, via employer health care plans. And at the time of this purchase, they have more than 8,000 business clients. And that's just the business clients, doesn't include consumers. So at least 8,000 businesses have signed up for uh, uh, an employee health care plan with this company. The article points out they had a data breach in 2021 that exposed email addresses. Uh, I don't know if it exposed other stuff. That's just what the article highlighted. And Amazon hasn't really shared much. Like they haven't said if they plan to integrate One Medical into existing Amazon ecosystems and services, or if they're just gonna let them operate as like a standalone organization. But of course they claim that the purchase is to innovate in the healthcare space and make a better customer experience. And I'm sure the data is just a fortunate byproduct of that. This, this yeah. takes me back to Google <coughs> buying out Fitbit, which includes mm -hmm. Google taking over all Fitbit data similar situation where like 
yeah, you can be trying to avoid big tech, but nothing's stopping a big tech company from buying out the company that you're working with. And then your yep. data ends up in their hands too. So it's just a good reminder to like watch out for that. You can't obviously predict that kind of stuff from happening, but that's why we encourage just minimizing devices and generally just being aware of what you're putting out there. Yep. Very unfortunate. Our next story is a quick one. Anonymous review site, Glassdoor, not so anonymous. So there's a New Zealand toy company called Zuru who has successfully sued Glassdoor for user data. They allege that negative reviews on Glassdoor have cost them material damage, which is kind of the threshold for uh, being able to successfully sue, in the form of having to spend more money to recruit new talent. So Glassdoor unfortunately lost this case, and they now have to hand over the user data of users who posted negative reviews so that Zuru presumably can sue them directly. I just got to point out, clearly this is an awesome company to work for, that a bunch of people leave negative reviews and they're like, well, you're costing us money, so we're going to sue you, rather than fixing the issues, but whatever. Don't depend on laws alone. They're good, they do work, they do matter, but they should not be your only defense. I actually really like this headline. Um, DD, I believe is how it's pronounced, in Deep Doo-Doo, over 64 billion illegal acts of data collection. DD is an Asian rideshare company. China has fined them 1.2 billion US dollars for over 64 billion of illegal acts of data collection, which includes analyzing traveler intentions without consent, user clipboards and app lists, cities users lived in without consent, users places of work, locations while the app was not in use, facial recognition information, and much more. They have accepted the fine, and they apologized, and they vowed to change their ways. So they've really come full circle. Unlike, what's that last company? Zuru. Yes, Zuru did not come full circle, but DD is making a change for the better. It's really impressive because they were collecting things like user clipboards and app lists. That's not just an accidental thing. That has to be something that's purposely baked into the app from the get-go. So I think that's really something to outline there, is this wasn't just a, yeah, we're not good with privacy. This is a, we actively had to bake in a functionality in our app that actually collected this data, and we had a full process in place to collect that data, um, which is a little bit different. So I really hope that they do change that. That'll take us into the research section, and we're going to start with a, so the headline says, air-gapped systems leak data via SATA cable, Wi-Fi, antennas. Uh, for those who don't know, SATA is just the connector type that connects to your laptop hard drive. Yeah, like the cable, the type of connector. Um, this is being replaced with NVMe. It's kind of like the new thing now that people are moving to. But yeah, so this is kind of a laptop thing. They have dubbed it Satan, S-A-T-A-N, SATA, N, uh, which I thought was kind of clever. And it's important to note, the attacker first needs to infect the target system. So this is not something that somebody can just roll up, sit outside your house and start stealing data. They have to infect your device first. But for the record, that's not impossible. There was this nice little thing called Stuxnet. I know TechLore has a video about it and there was a really good documentary. What was it called? Zero, zero days, I think. Um, but yeah, just look up Stuxnet documentary. It was really good. I recommend it. So it's not impossible, but it is pretty freaking hard. Uh, once they've infected the system, the malware then targets sensitive information and basically turns the SATA cable into a radio to transmit the information to the receiver. Uh, so more good news, if, if you're worried about this, uh, the receiver for this radio data has to be within four feet. So again, it's not like somebody can just roll up across the parking lot of your apartment complex and start stealing data. Uh, the personal takeaway here that kind of stuck out to me when I was reading this Nothing is unhackable, so make sure you threat model. I don't think there's anything wrong with going above and beyond your threat model. I certainly do. I do not need to go as hardcore as I do, but it's fun and I like it and there's nothing wrong with that. 
But I think it's important that we realize no matter how much you do, there's always going to be new zero days. Technology is always evolving and perfect defense is just not possible. So that doesn't mean we shouldn't try, but it just means to, you know, be realistic and know what the bare minimum you have to do is. That's the whole point of threat modeling. Yeah, that was kind of my takeaway. Just remember, you know, know, know what you need to do and don't lose sleep over the things that fall outside that. Another fun one, a popular vehicle GPS tracker gives hackers admin, admin privileges over SMS. A total of six vulnerabilities affect the MyCodis MV720 device. Wow, that's a weird naming scheme. Um, which is a $20 device which is present in vehicles used by several Fortune 50 firms, governments in Europe, states in the US, a military agency in South America, and a nuclear plant operator. So essentially, this device could be used to track or mobilize a vehicle. The vulnerabilities include things like a hard-coded master password on the server and weak default uh, passwords on the device, like 123456, broken authentication allowing anyone to send commands, and more. The device has not been patched yet, so if you have one of these, proceed with caution. Our final research story says password extraction risk in identity provider Okta disputed. So a researcher claims, or several researchers claim to have found serious vulnerabilities in Okta, which is... Uh, I believe the technical definition is they're like an identity management company. So kind of like we talked about up top in the data breaches section. These vulnerabilities include gaining app admin privileges and extracting passwords in clear text. Okta has denied this and played down the severity of the issues. So after a lot of back and forth, the researchers basically said, we're just going to go public with this data. We've given, we've responsibly disclosed it. It's not our problem. If you want to deny it, we're going to go ahead and publish this. So despite this dispute, uh, Okta is actually working with the researchers to quote unquote improve security. So it sounds to me kind of reading between the lines is publicly they're trying to play it down and not lose stocks, but behind the scenes, they're kind of like, okay, yeah, this is a problem and we should fix it. Not the greatest response, but at least they are doing something about it. And, you know, kind of like Henry said earlier with that data breach, like these are not the people you want to be having issues like this, you know, identity management companies, they're supposed to be secure and, you know, they're handling people's identities. And that's really, really important that they have good security and be on top of their stuff. And it's unfortunate that Okta does not. They actually got hacked earlier this year by Lapsus. So they need to get their stuff together if they want to collect important information like that. These are all important talking points <clears throat> too, because I think for, for the privacy advocates, we're always like, yeah, we don't want you to scan our faces because obviously, mm. but that doesn't really hold up to someone who doesn't understand privacy. But when you start quoting things like this, like look at these three identity management companies in the last year who all suffered data breaches and leaked people's identities. That's a real talking point because now the thing that's supposed to be protecting you is actually working against you. And I think that's actually a real talking point to share with people. That's like, hey, no, you should speak up when the IRS is asking to use ID.me because look at these three other identity management solutions and how they breached everyone's data. So I think that's another talking point for people trying to get people on the security privacy train out there. I have, I have two comments on what you just said. Um, number one, identity theft is actually my counter argument to I have nothing to hide. Uh, and for the record, there is no like one size fits all just like, oh, use this argument and you're totally going to like convince people. But I've had a lot of, you know, when people are like, well, I have nothing to hide. And I'm like, well, do you want your identity stolen? And of course, everybody's like, not, not if I can avoid it, not really. And it's like, so you do have something to hide. And that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. And you just, you kind of build from there. But um, that's always one that I get people to stop. I'm like, okay, if you have nothing to hide, let me have your bank account number. And, and um, but number two, what you, what you said about ID.me, 
It also, in my opinion, it doesn't really help to don't be preachy with it, but don't don't hesitate to tell people about this kind of stuff. Because I remember like I have a family group chat like a lot of people do on Signal. I sent my mom and my whole family. I sent everybody like a, a the ID.me thing. And a couple weeks later, when the IRS backed off of it and uh, what was it? Who who did that campaign? Fight for the future? Fight for I the think. future. Yeah. Yeah. So when they sent out the email that was like, you know, victory, they're backing down. They're reconsidering. My mom actually forwarded me that email and she's like, hey, check this out. And my first thought was like, I didn't even know you signed the petition. Like, that's awesome. I totally thought you wouldn't have cared. So, like, don't be afraid to tell people about this kind of stuff because you might be surprised. They, they might actually take an interest. So, again, don't be preachy with it. But, okay, that'll take us into the politics section where there is some good news. The House panel has advanced a landmark federal data privacy bill. The American Data Privacy and Protection Act, or ADPPA, has passed the House Energy and Commerce Committee. I'm not really sure what happens next. I tried to look into, like, the current incarnation of this bill sets a standard that cannot be exceeded or uh, undermined, which is kind of good and kind of bad. So it, it, right now, only five states in the U.S. have any kind of privacy laws or data privacy laws. Some states do cover specific things, like I think Illinois and Texas have like biometric data privacy laws. But overall, nobody has only those five states have like right to uh, delete your data, right to see your data, right to correct your data, right to notification, stuff like that. So this is going to make all 50 states like, OK, here's the new. Unfortunately, since it can't be exceeded, there's a lot of concerns that this is, would weaken existing privacy protections in places like California. So some people are trying to make this like a floor where you can you can do more if you want to. But this is the bare minimum. And unfortunately, that's meeting a lot of resistance, which concerns me. Anyway, so in this current in incarnation, it would allow the ability to sue privately, which personally I think is a great win. Uh, it allows you to like individually sue a company over violations. And it treats all the data of people under 17 as sensitive data, regardless of what that data is. And I'm, I'm sure there's other stuff. That's just like kind of the stuff I was able to pick out and find. So really good, uh, good start. Also, just a personal note, I did find the actual text of the bill. It's only 10 pages right now. And I will bet you guys $100 that if this passes, it'll be well into the triple digits, like easily 100, 200 pages. This one is no surprise to weekly listeners, I'm sure, but it's still another good reminder. And these, again, are formal articles that you can share with people. So it's not just speculation. So this stuff's still important. Documents show DHS tracks smartphones around the country. So these are documents obtained by the ACLU that show how the Department of Homeland Security uses location data services like Vento and LocateX, which are third-party SDKs used in many smartphone apps to bypass requirements to get a warrant. This is not new. This has been happening for years. We've covered numerous stories that are just like this. Essentially what happens is, let's say you download this random calculator app, right? The calculator app can actually have third-party SDKs, which can track other location about you. And then those SDKs can communicate separately. Um, lots of app developers don't actually know the SDKs in their apps do this kind of thing. And so if you find these kinds of things, you should report it to your app developer. Pretty much what's happening though, is they're collecting that and then the DHS just buys that data. And so they don't need to get a warrant. There's absolutely no oversight. It's a good workaround to still collect data they're not supposed to collect. Um, this goes all the way down to the state and local levels. These companies claim the location data does not include any names or contact info. So a subpoena is still required to unmask identities. Which, as we all talk about all the time, location data is not anonymized. It doesn't matter if there's not a name or contact information tied to it. If someone is at home from 6 p.m. to 8 a.m. every single day, you know where they live. If you know where they live, you know who they are. 
it's very bare bones. This is not really protecting people's identities. User feedback seems to say that the results are mixed. Some police report deriving little value, while others report this has produced leads in multiple investigations. So it's even unclear. My interpretation of that is it's even debated how useful this information even is. Um, but the very least is there should be some oversight over this process, and people should be aware that a lot of the apps they download are collecting a lot of information about them. Our next story, the FCC wants to know if U.S. carriers are exposing users' geolocation data. So FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rose Rosenworcel, I'm probably screwed that up, I apologize, has sent letters to the top 15 mobile carriers in the U.S., uh, and she is demanding more information about the data retention policies of these companies, including how it is shared with law enforcement and third parties. So... Just a little background, in 2020, the FCC fined the top carriers $200 million total for selling location data to third parties. Critics said that that number was too low, but that was before Rosen Marshall was chairwoman, so maybe she'll be a little bit harsher. We don't know, but we'll keep you updated if anything further develops in this case. Okay, I gave gave myself a good one this week. All right. Um, U.S. demands allies share biometric police data on citizens in wake of the Colleyville crisis. In January of this year, a UK citizen traveled to the US to take hostages at a synagogue. The US is now arguing that if they had access to his UK criminal history and his other data, they might have been able to flag him as a potential terrorist and bar him from entry. Currently, there are data sharing agreements for foreign individuals convicted of serious crimes and known terrorist activities. MI5 had delisted the man in question in 2021 as a person of interest and his crimes were apparently not serious. The U.S. wants to close this loophole by sharing data with the 38 countries where people can travel from without a visa for 90 days. This already looks like it has shortcomings, as it would require sharing of criminal histories and biometrics of individuals of concern by 2026, and it doesn't specify what information qualifies. Plus, some of the demands may conflict with existing privacy laws. I'm going to add my own thought here, too, that almost all people who are flagged still end up committing their... Like, what, the Boston Marathoner was flagged, and he still did it. Well, and here's here's my thought on this, the thing that stuck out to me on this story. MI5 had already delisted the man in question in 2021 as a person of interest. So when you're like, okay, we need to share the criminal histories and biometrics of individuals of concern, he wasn't an individual of concern at the time. So this wouldn't have changed anything in that particular scenario. Like, I don't know, that's just weird to me. I wish I, I was really, I was staying up late. <laughs> I don't know why I do this, but like I was staying up late this was a few weeks ago on Wikipedia, just reading about the U.S. the massive U.S. shootings in the last uh, couple decades, and so many of them were flagged as people of interest well before they ever did anything. So many of them were arrested before. So many of them were flagged as people of interest before. Yet they still got their hands on guns, which I think is a separate issue I could talk about. But like flagging people, even when they got arrested. <laughs> Like, these people were actually arrested. They weren't even people of interest anymore. They were actually arrested for crimes they committed in the past. Rehabilitation, I think, is another big thing that, like, needs to be talked about more, especially in the U.S. Um, this We could take this conversation in so many different ways. Probably in the interest of time, it's best to end it there. All right, our next story. Pegasus spyware maker NSO, haven't heard from them in a minute, directly, is conducting a lobbying campaign to get off the U.S. blacklist. So that title kind of says it all. NSO is hoping to get the issue raised when Biden visits Israel, which uh, will have happened by the time this episode comes out. So probably don't know right away whether or not it worked. Yeah, that's that's 
pretty much all there is. They're trying to get off the, the blacklist. I'm not crying any tier. World's smallest violin. UK cybersecurity chiefs back plan to scan photos for child abuse images. So this is an update to an ongoing saga. This has been going on for a while. The heads of GCHQ have publicly put their support behind initiatives like Apple's on-device CSAM scanning tool. Um, this should be a given. Uh, we still have concerns over this technology, as you might expect. Uh, so we're just following to see what happens. Our next story comes from Denmark. Uh, this was kind of a big story. I saw this shared around quite a bit. Denmark has basically banned Chromebooks and Google Workspace in schools over data transfer risks. So Denmark's data protection agency has determined that students' use of Google's cloud-based services does not meet the requirement of GDPR due to data transfer agreements, specifically when support is involved. So Google claims that like everything stays in the country on devices and stuff, except once you need help when something goes wrong and you contact support, and then some data gets transferred to help troubleshoot that case. And Denmark is saying, well, that data transfer violates GDPR. So this follows a... Uh, a quote, breach of personal data security, unquote, from 2020. The article didn't expand on what that breach was or what happened. Much like the Google Analytics ruling that we covered earlier this year, at the moment, this legally only applies to Helsinger. Screwed that up, sorry. Uh, but it may be more broadly applied in other areas, just like Google Analytics. So there's a possibility that, just like the Google Analytics thing, this is one case that will have a domino effect and reach more areas. So that's kind of neat. And our Final political news for the week, the latest Pegasus iPhone hack. Apple has now warned pro-democracy protesters in Thailand that they were affected. So Thailand is currently ruled by a military dictatorship following a coup in 2014. And uh, because of that, some of the protesters were being targeted by Pegasus, which is pretty much spyware that's on a device and it's very hard to recognize it. But Apple did warn them that they were infected, which is, I think, really cool. Um, but that is the story. It's unfortunate it's happening at all, but it does demonstrate how sometimes it is nice to have um, a company that is not in bed with your own government who might be able to help you in these kinds of situations. That'll take us into the free and open source news section. We're going to start with IVPN, who has announced an app-based VPN using the SOX5 proxy. They said, first of all, you can now split tunnel to different servers on a per app or per browser tab basis which I think is really cool because I remember um, when I first got into privacy, I was trying to use like Tor a lot, like European uh, servers and stuff like that. And it was really annoying to go to PayPal and it was all in German and I don't speak any German. So this is really cool that you can, you know, send certain things like I want this to go to Europe for better protection. I want this to go to, uh, you know, my, my country where I speak the language, things like that. And as far as the SOX5 stuff goes, they mentioned that SOX5 allows for kill switches for those who are not using the app. So if you don't want to use the app and you want to use the command line or something else, your own app, something like that, that is now a thing. And kill switches now work on local networks for additional security if you set them up that way. Some really cool improvements from IVPN. Really quick, final one for the FOSS section, Cryptomator, which is the very convenient way to encrypt your documents and keep them encrypted with any cloud provider of your choice. So it's a very good way to use Google Drive, for example, where you encrypt it before it touches Google Drive. They're offering a discount on their mobile apps, which is 40% off, which is pretty solid. We have no information on when it ends. This was just a tweet from them. But yeah, if you're trying to get Cryptomator on mobile devices, now's the time to do it. And the Misfits section. This one is an interesting one. So a zero-day attack is used to infect Chrome users that could pose a threat to Edge and Safari users as well. Kandaroo, Kandaroo, 
uh, is an offensive software seller, which has recently used a Chrome zero day plus two other zero days to infect journalists and other targets in Lebanon, Turkey, Yemen, and Palestine via a compromised website. Researchers have gotten their hands on some of the malware, but not all. Some of the attack vectors have been patched. And there's also warnings going out that this could also impact Edge and Safari. The current recommendation is to keep up to date because Google patched this like super quickly on Chrome, which is a good reason to use Chrome if you're a journalist, if this is a concern to you, and possibly disable WebRTC as the article heavily implies that this is part of the attack vector. So WebRTC is likely what was utilized for this attack, um, but the details are still coming out. Also, keep everything up to date. <laughs> Automatic updates. And our last story is really interesting. W3C has launched decentralized identifiers as a web standard. W3, W3C is the uh, World Wide Web Consortium. They're basically all the people who are in charge of uh, ensuring that the internet goes in a certain direction so that it stays open and free to the best of their ability and kind of saying, like, we're all going to go in this direction now. So uh, digital identifiers, DIDs, are cryptographic digital identifiers not tied to any central authority. They provide individuals and organizations with greater security and privacy, along with more control over their online information, unquote. This was meant to be an alternative to things like email addresses or social media when it comes to online identity verification. So uh, really interesting. Uh, I Truthfully, I don't know a whole lot about decentralized ID, but I've been seeing it around a lot. I know it's a, a big conversation right now. I should probably go and educate myself. And in the meantime, we'll keep you guys up to date on where this goes now that this is an official web standard. All right, and that'll take us into our question and answer section. And this week was the polar opposite of last week. We had only one question. Quick note on that. I think some people might have submitted questions late, like like to last week, submitted them late. So just so you guys know, we record Saturday afternoons, uh, US time. So if you want your question to get seen, uh, make sure it gets in before that. Definitely, I would recommend like Friday night at the latest, but um, you know. So yeah, if you're unsure, just look up, you know, what time is it in the, the US and anyways, but uh, yeah. So this week, our question comes from Aeropagus. Uh, Aeropagus, I may have mispronounced that. Asparagus. And they ask, <laughs> sure, why not? Okay, it comes from Asparagus. I'm, nah, I, I don't want to say that in case it's like a meaningful name oh, yeah, to him yeah, yeah. or something. <laughs> it just looks like Asparagus. Uh, it does. It really does. <laughs> Uh, and they ask, why do voting machines have proprietary code instead of being open source? From a noob's perspective, tallying votes should be basic and have very few security risks. Um, we don't have an actual answer for you other than uh, it sucks. And we were just complaining about corporate lobbying. And um, honestly, man, like politics, the political system in America, like I used to work in an elections office and the political system in America is so it is simultaneously simpler and more complicated than most people make it out to be. So yeah, like why do they have proprietary code instead of being open source? First of all, I've been preaching that for like a while. Like you can go, go back and watch older episodes. I've mentioned before, I think it's absolutely insane that my taxpayer money can be spent on a black box that I'm not allowed to look at or ask questions of. Side note, there is an amazing documentary that was on HBO a couple of years ago called Kill Chain. Apparently there's also a movie with Nicolas Cage by that name. So it's Kill Chain, uh, the war on America's, the cyber war on America's elections. Uh, and they talk all about this, about voting machines and how they're proprietary and how uh, manufacturers refuse to acknowledge that there are vulnerabilities when you find them and disclose them. Like they – in this documentary, they went and got a voting machine on eBay for 80 bucks, which number one, you're not supposed to be able to get them at all. Uh, they got it for 80 bucks and the guy had a whole pallet of them. He's like, do you want more? I got plenty. They took it to DEF CON where everybody just tore this thing apart in minutes. Like they hacked it so easily 
turned over a list of all the vulnerabilities they found to the manufacturer, who then basically said, nuh uh. I think we also, I don't know if we covered it, but I know I saw a story uh, several months ago, maybe like a year ago, about how there is actually one or two companies who are open sourcing their stuff and expressed a willingness to work with researchers. And we definitely need a lot more of that. Yeah, I agree with you. Like it, it, it's really crazy that this stuff is so closed source and we don't have an easy answer why other than no offense to anyone who may be in this position and listening, our politicians are generally not very smart, especially when it comes to technology. You know, like I'm not trying to be rude, but it's true. Like a lot of them don't understand why open source is helpful. Like these companies are sending salespeople to make their pitches instead of actually educating them. So it's it's kind of a lot of things. And I, I unfortunately, there's no easy answers, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's stupid. I mean, two, two things to add. One, I don't <laughs> think you have to be stupid to think proprietary is better because even people who enter the privacy and security world for the first time, I think generally still have that assumption. I think it's just generally okay, that's fair. like open source. People are like, oh, it's open. So can't anyone hack it? Um, I think that assumption is still there, even for people who are more technical. Um, and on that note, just because something is open source doesn't mean it's more secure. Um, there's always that like kickback that I want to give as well. But yes, for Fair. voting machines specifically, like this stuff is just garbage. Um, clearly, it would be better if it was open source and people could just break this stuff and fix it um, rather than relying on these companies who don't give a damn. And then the second thing is, was it Germany <coughs> who passed a law that required all government related things to be oh. done with open source software i know the story you're talking about but country. i can't remember who it was it might have been germany i think it was germany and so I, that this just reminded me of that of like some countries are kind of figuring that out but you can expect the u.s to maybe get on that in 50 years um <laughs> let me see I, an update on the germany thing um, I don't know if I'm finding the right story I was thinking about, but like just a quick search. The Germany town Dortmund is using open source software um, wherever possible to uh, for anything that's public. Uh, Munich moved to Linux instead of Windows. I remember that. Uh, open source to be the norm in German <coughs> public pro procurement. Uh, development contracts are commissioned as open source. Uh, the corresponding software is made public as a matter of principle. Maybe that's the one we were thinking of. Then the German state planning to switch 25,000 PCs to LibreOffice. I know we've covered that so, one. So, like, yeah, Germany seems to kind of get it. <laughs> the, They're getting the, there. The, 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 the U.S., we're, 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 we'll get there someday. Some year. Do you some ever... century. <laughs> that is it for the week, everyone. Again, join our Q&A. We only got one question. So if you want to ask us a question, anything anything definitely join patreon and get them in friday night yes and before saturday like i know we always get a question after we record and it's like no guys we don't <laughs> we don't just record and publish it takes time to edit things so it takes us the whole weekend normally so yes we work hard back here we do our best um but that is it for the week again the u.s lawmakers might crack down on shady vpns big on the might part of that um dhs is tracking smartphones not a surprise Facebook is encrypting tracking links, also not a surprise, and a conclusion to the T-Mobile data breach, and much more. Again, promo segment. If you want to join us and support us and get some awesome perks along the way, Patreon is the way to do it. Check it out down in the description, patreon.com slash surveillance pod, or you can donate directly to us via Monero. We don't currently have any perks for doing that outside of giving you a private payment method to support us, um, but we do see all your donations, and so we thank all of you who send us some Monero. That is awesome. 
Just to finish things out, thank you for listening to the fan support. The final thing we want to ask you to do is to share our podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed and give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible, and you can directly help us do that. Thanks again for listening. See you next week, and stay safe out there.